And now, The Mentors Radio, one of the most popular and unique shows on the air today. Here each week, remarkable CEOs and leaders, including host Tom Laurie and Dan Hesse, and their guests will mentor you, challenging your thinking about life and work. Sought after for their ethical leadership and advice, and for helping others succeed throughout their careers, now these same CEOs, the mentors, want to help you achieve your highest level of profitability, success, and personal fulfillment in life, at work, and in business. Learn more and check out the show notes at TheMentorsRadio.com. That's TheMentorsRadio.com. And now, here's your mentor. Hi, I'm Tom Laurie, and I will be your host today. Thank you for joining us. Today, we have a truly remarkable guest, Connor Grennan, Dean of Students at the New York University Stern School of Business. He's a prominent TEDx speaker and an esteemed number one international best-selling author of the memoir, Little Princess. One Man's Promise to Bring Home the Lost Children of Nepal. And I hope we have a little bit of time to talk about that. Connor's insights have motivated countless individuals, and he now heads the generative AI program at Stern School of Business. He empowers students and faculty to harness the potential of artificial intelligence. He joins us today to explore how we can power our lives and career with chat GPT and other relevant cutting edge generative AI technologies. Connor, thank you very much for joining us. We have, I got to tell you, I spent the weekend going through all the material. There's so much to cover. We have to squeeze it in just in an hour. Uh, But thank you for joining us. And we have, let's get started. And rather than me spending a lot of time talking about your interesting light, why don't you tell uh, my audience a little bit more about the life you've been leading? Sure. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Tom. So, uh, yeah, I sort of, I guess I've kind of worn a few different uh, hats. Uh, you know, back in my 20s, I was living abroad in Europe and I was doing peace and reconciliation in the Balkans. But uh, that led to me heading around the world and then uh, ending up in Nepal and starting an organization out there where I met my uh, wife, who's American, came back to business school, uh, started studying uh, finance in NYU Stern, but then ended up writing a book. And that Kind of took off a little bit about about uh, a memoir about Nepal, and so I ended up spending the next few years uh, writing and speaking for a living, and then I came back to Stern as dean of students for the MBA program back in 2014, and then uh, and then I've sort of spent the last year really immersed in AI. Uh, my wife's in AI at uh, McKinsey and Company, the consulting company, and uh, and when generative AI came out, it just sort of uh, you know I kind of jumped or when it rather went sort of like a when it came out in a consumer-facing sort of way back in November, I jumped on it and uh, you know ended up finding a way to teach our students, and it sort of kind of snowballed from there. So, just for the audience, let everybody know what does a dean of students do? Yeah, a dean of students does a lot of different things. You know, it's some people think of it as you know like the like the vice principal or something like that. But really at an MBA program, it's it's a really fun job because I get to interact with uh, just a ton, you know, hundreds really of incredibly bright uh, leaders. So MBA students tend to be in kind of like their late 20s and already uh, pretty accomplished and looking to make, take the next step. And so uh, I got my MBA from NYU Stern and uh, and the fact that I get to go back there and be dean of students, but I, you know, I have a one easy way to think of it is that I sort of represent uh, the students to the school and the school to the back to the students. So I, uh, you know, I interact with a ton of students and do a lot of uh, you know 
coaching and leadership development and things like that, just one-on-one, just uh, helping mentor a lot of students. But also, you know, I help oversee a team that does all the uh, programming. So sort of anything that isn't, you know, academics uh, and career, uh, my team does. But I'm sort of just there for the students. I tend to represent the school and everything like that. Sounds like you're a salesman on the front lines. I've always said the salesman represents the company and the product to the customer. And the a salesman represents the customer to the company. And yeah, in a in a really in a really fun way because it's sort of we all like love each other. Yeah, the students love the school and the school loves the students. So it's it's sort of a family. I just sort of like I help kind of sometimes translate between uh, the needs of the students and the school, and then help explain back kind of the policy of the school to the students. But at the core of it, it's really uh, I'm an advocate for the for the students, and and I love it because our students are phenomenal. And for the audience, briefly uh, explain what the thread is on Little Princess. What is the, uh, what was that all about? I mean, yeah, so I, I, I know uh, human trafficking is a hot uh, topic right now because of the movie that's out. So what, I, I assume it has a little bit to do with that, right? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, when I, when I first got out to Nepal, I got out there during uh, the Civil War. And uh, and it was sort of a crazy time to be uh, out in Nepal, obviously, but I went out there to volunteer and uh, take care of kids in an orphanage. And uh, it wasn't until much later that I, you know, that I sort of discovered that these kids actually weren't trafficked, that they were, I'm sorry, that they weren't orphans, that they were trafficked kids. And it turned out that thousands of kids had been trafficked. And so I found myself starting a small nonprofit out there that uh, rescues trafficked kids and reunites them with their families. And, uh, and that was just sort of something I'd been, I just kind of found, I sort of just fell into, strangely enough, when I was going through Nepal, and that kind of became my life for uh, several years. And then I uh, still have that organization, it's called Next Generation Nepal. But, uh, but when I came back to the US, obviously, we still have our team in, in Nepal and everything like that. But, uh, but when I was in business school, uh, I'd been keeping a blog when I was out in Nepal. And when I was in business school, I got contacted by a literary agent and asked to write a book. Uh, which I eventually found time to do uh, over a Christmas break of <laughs> the time where I was in business school. And that just sort of took off. And so uh, that's where I ended up. Well, your concern and the work that you're doing in this field is uh, God's work. Uh, it's such a major problem. San Francisco is one of the ports where there's a fair amount of trafficking I know that goes on here. And there are a lot of people I know that are involved with it. It's a bigger problem than I think most people really understand. So I admire what you're doing. Mm. Now, before we get into the real meat and potatoes on uh, generative AI, you have a large following on LinkedIn. Why don't we, we've got about a minute left on this segment. Tell everybody what you're doing on LinkedIn with regards to generative AI. Yeah, sure. So I my approach to generative AI is very much a non-tech approach. And I think that uh, you know, what I was seeing being kind of posted and put out into the world was very much around you know, here's how large language models work, and here's how neural networks work, and here's how machine learning works. And I was thinking, gosh, I just want to sort of like understand this from a non-tech perspective, because that's most of us. And uh, so on LinkedIn, I started posting uh, just generally how I used it as, you know, kind of a creative person or non-technical person. And I think that's where it really started to take off is that people started to see themselves in, you know, a user like me, and uh, and being able to explain it to folks who are non-technical, uh, tended to be something that people were interested in. And so that's kind of how I got my start on that. And as I, uh, and that's how I learned about you and your work in this field, which is uh, impressive in terms of what you uh, post. 
the way I characterize this is you're, you're there's so much happening. I mean, even today in the newspaper, there were three articles on generative AI. It's just in, incredible. But you're you you act as my curator, don't you? I mean, that's what you're doing is you're curating things for us on what is important, how to get started, and it's a very worthwhile. Uh, and, and again, for the audience, it's Connor C O N O R Grennan G R E N N A N. And I assume you just go to LinkedIn and put your name in there, and uh, that link will pop up. I'd probably get a couple of links: uh, your profile, and then the link to what you're doing with. Uh, generative AI. Is that correct? Exactly. Yep. Easy enough. Yeah. Okay. We're going to come right back after a short break. We're with New York University's Connor Grennan, and we're talking about how to power your career and life with ChatGPT and other relevant technologies. Go to our website, thementorsradio.com. Click on list of shows to listen to past shows. Subscribe while you're there so you do not miss any future shows. This is Tom Laurie, and you're listening to The Mentors Radio Show. And now... Back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Lorian. I'm with Connor Grennan, New York University Stern School of Business Dean of Students, and its head of Generative AI. We're discussing how you can be an early adopter of ChatGPT to power your life and career and avoid becoming obsolete. Remember, you can also listen to this show or any previous shows via podcast on iTunes, TuneIn, Spotify, Google, and more on any device at any time. Subscribe at thementorsradio.com. So you're you're heading up this effort uh, to uh, not only to yourself learn and be able to explain it to people, but it's really to help the faculty and the students adopt generative uh, AI. How's that going? Yeah, it's you know it's a process, right? It's it is how I started. I mean. You know, when I first learned about what this was, again, my wife uh, does AI, and that's kind of how I how I learned about this thing coming out, and and I got you know fluent on it. I think pretty quickly, just got used to it, and I was like, wow, this thing is incredibly powerful. And uh, I realized right away, as I think a lot of people did who who looked at it, was that my first thought was around education, right? So I work in education uh, at a graduate school level, but I also have kids. I have a fourteen year old and a twelve year old. And I saw uh, immediately, again, as parents and teachers did right away, that this was going to really just shatter some of our education models. In other words, you know, you can literally just put into ChatGPT, which looks like Google, right? I mean, you can just go to a website and just type in questions. Uh, but unlike something like Google, you can say, hey, ChatGPT, write me an essay about Hamlet at the level of, you know, a 10th grader and make it 800 words. And uh, and it will do that within seconds. And so obviously that really disrupts education. And so that was my way of getting started on it. And I thought, okay, we really have to solve this. And so I started to build out a framework for how to teach people how to use it with the with the sort of expectation that if we taught our MBA students how to use it and we taught our faculty how to use it and our administration, you know, all these people working together because this tool is so powerful and more importantly, working with the tool, uh, they could really come up with some really creative solutions about how to tackle education. And so that was my initial uh, entry and foray uh, into this. And so, you know, teaching them has been really fun, right? It's been, you know, working with uh, MBA students and faculty and everybody's learning together. So when you say early adopter, that's exactly right. In fact, now I you know, work with some uh, with corporations and things like that, too, because, you know, everybody's I don't even want to say people are behind. Everybody's learning together here. 
And in the education field, I, th I think one of the concerns uh, is that maybe people don't learn. They can just put in a question, get an answer, submit the paper, get their grade. How does, I'm curious, how does an educational institution pre prevent that? Because education is all about learning. I'll tell you what, it is a huge question that none of us really have the answer to yet. It's that's how big it is. Uh, and believe me, I track along with a lot of, you know, big thinkers on this topic. And nobody really has the answer. Because if you think about it, I mean, we've been doing education the same way for 2000 years or whatever it is, right? I mean, like, you know, the professor poses a question, the student goes away and thinks about it and comes up with an answer and writes it and then presents it to the professor who then grades it. Well, we can't really do that anymore. There is no real working AI detector. So, you know, there are detectors for plagiarism and things like that, right? There's software for that because you can detect, well, was this already on the internet somewhere? Did somebody cheat? All that kind of stuff. That doesn't exist with, you know, artificial intelligence and it does not exist with generative AI uh, and things like ChatGPT because it sounds too much like a human. It's indistinguishable from a human. It's not writing the same thing. It's not copying something from the internet and giving it to you. So, so how we solve that is still a mystery to be solved. And we are coming up on the fall semester, but I can say that, you know, we really have to think about what not to do. And I hate to be negative like that, but one of the things not to do is just assign quizzes. Or, I mean, sorry, assign papers as, as take-home things, because it's just very easy and very tempting for our young people and students at every level to to just play or not even plagiarize just cheat not do the work so there's a lot of questions to be asked around that it's kind of interesting uh two things you can learn by using chat gpt but you can also short circuit the learning process with chat gpt yeah that's exactly right and that's what makes it so well i would say interesting in a way right is that you know, you have to understand human nature, right? And you have to understand how students think. And typically students, you know, as as sort of like an older generation like us, right? We're thinking, gosh, come on, guys, you got to like, you know, learn this and learn how to write. But that's not how students think. Tend, it's not how they tend to think anyway. They tend to think, I just kind of want to get a good grade because that's going to define, the, the stakes are so high. It defend, defines what college you go to. It defines what graduate school you go to. It defines what kind of jobs you get. It really has a huge and monumental impact. And it's hard to expect students to kind of take the fair way, I put that in air quotes, in order to not cheat and just learn. At the graduate school level, it's a little different. I think people want to learn because they're paying a, you know, a lot of money to come to a school and get a really powerful degree that they're going to become leaders in society with. But under that, undergraduate and, and, and you know, high school and middle school, that's a tough task. But as you say, it's the best learning tool that's ever existed because humans tend to be very bad learners, right? If I'm asking you a question about something that you know about, you know, there's a reason why we call them dumb questions. I won't ask you just sort of like question after question after question, because you'll start to think, oh my gosh, Connor's a big idiot, you know? And so at some point I'll sort of just say, okay, well, I've gotten enough information from Tom to, to sort of, you know, walk away and be a little smarter on it. But really what you want is to be able to ask something every tiny question until you truly understand something about a topic. And the great thing about something like ChatGPT is not only can it do that, but you can say, teach me it like a 10th grader or teach it to me like a 12 year old or whatever level you're at, or give me an analogy that involves uh, you know, soccer or football or farming or something. And we'll just stay with you and keep on teaching you until you deeply and truly learn it. So it's a phenomenal learning tool 
But ironically, uh, it's sort of hard to get to that as a kid. Now we have some ideas about how to do that, uh, how to how to use this, and we have some. We've been kind of getting a little bit creative, and I've been posting on LinkedIn some creative ways of doing that. But it's a challenge. One thing you talk a lot about is that we have to treat ChatGPT. Well, I guess one question we should get to right away: What is the difference between ChatGPT, Bard? And uh, Bing, and I see there are others coming along. I got a call from somebody at another university that uh, they've got another approach. It's the same technology, but they're drawing on a different database to do different mm -hmm. things. So mm -hmm. uh, what are the differences between, let's say, the top three? Yeah, they're all a little bit different, right? I mean, and and here's the interesting thing. They're all changing too. So whatever we sort of say now might be a little bit different in a month. But in broad strokes, ChatGPT is sort of like the original, right? And it has, you know, you can pay $20 a month and have access to what they call GPT-4, which is sort of the top of the line that's been trained on just a huge, huge data set and is extremely intelligent. ChatGPT-4 is the kind of thing that can ace every standardized test you put in front of it, the LSAT, MCAT, GMAT, anything like that. So that's really powerful. However, it's not connected to the internet. Uh, it's it's cut off in September, 2021. Uh, so you can't actually ask it, hey, who won the, you know, the Mets game last night or something like that. So Bing uses and is powered by the engine of GPT-4. However, it's connected to Microsoft's search engine called Bing, which is like Microsoft's version of Google. And so that's connected to the internet, but uses the same technology but it's just a little bit different than that. And Bard is Google's ChatGPT connected to the internet, but also, uh, you know, is sort of taking a little slower. So it's not quite as powerful as GPT-4. Uh, but, but believe me, I wouldn't sort of count anything out that Google does because uh, that's coming along pretty quickly. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. We're with New York University's Connor Grennan. We're talking about how to power your career and life with ChatGPT. Remember, you can listen live on Saturday, to our Saturday broadcast anywhere in the world by going to San Francisco, 860 The Answer. This is Tom Laurie, and this is The Mentors Radio Show. And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Laurie. I am with Connor Grennan, New York University Stern School of Business's Dean of Student and it's head of generative AI. And we're discussing why, why, a big why, you should be an early adopter of ChatGPT so you're not left behind. Um, so let's talk a little bit about some of these things, uh, specifically ChatGPT. And I did uh, upgrade to the plus version and I pay the $20 a month. So I've got all the other extra, and I guess I get GPT-4, but not five, but I, I get four. So one of the things it can do is increase it, it can improve productivity. We'll talk a little bit about that. We want to, I want to talk a little about creativity, expanded knowledge and expertise, iterative learning, and interactive problem solving. So on the productivity side, and I shared this with you last week, I found, uh, I don't know if you call it a plug-in or an extension, I don't know what the terminology is, but it, with the chat GPT four or three, I think it is, I can take a YouTube, plug it in, and it'll give me a summary of a video. Right? And, and then go on. Tell us more. I mean, you got the PDF summary. Tell, tell us about the tools, extensions, whatever you call them, that you use from a productivity standpoint and recommend to the faculty and the students. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. And you know what? I'll just say at the top, too. 
Sometimes uh, it's a little intimidating. If So if anybody out there has never used it before, this is what I would say, right? Go on to ChatGPT, you know, Google ChatGPT, get on there. If you want to pay $20 a month, you'll have access. You'll be the, a subscriber to the Plus account. Then you'll have like a top of the line model. I think it's the best $20 a month I've ever spent in my entire life, but uh, people can differ on that. But here's the thing. Just go into it and pretend like you are talking to the smartest human you've ever met in your life. And that's it. Now, remember, don't ask it for, you know, kind of up-to-date things because, you know, Google's for that. Like if you want to know who the president of Estonia is or something like that, go to Google, ask it. But if you want to just say like, hey, I'm planting this, you know, garden and I'm trying to figure this out. Or, hey, can you teach me string theory as if I was 12 years old? Or, hey, I need 12 marketing ideas for my new business or something like that. Just pretend that this person is unbelievably smart. And so that's just number one. Just go in there and just pretend that it's a human and talk to it. But, but don't you, I, let me just, qu so yeah. you ask the question, don't you have to give it some prompts or some information or does this just draw on this body of knowledge? Yeah, I'm so glad you bring that up because I think sometimes people get a little caught up in like, you know, they hear about prompt engineering and things like that. I would say if you're just starting off, just forget all that and just remember this one thing, pretend it's a human. <laughs> if you can do that, you're going to get so far. Yes, of course, there's like complicated prompts that you can put in. If you use Excel, you know, there's sort of simple ways to use Excel, but then there's really long formulas you can use. Don't worry about that kind of stuff. Don't worry about really long, complicated prompts. Really just go in and say, hey, I'm, you know, looking for ideas for, you know, uh, what to do if I go to the Hudson Valley hiking this weekend. Or, hey, like, you know, I need to install a lamppost. How should I do that? Or, hey, like, this is happening. And just like, just pretend it knows everything about everything. Or even, I'm not saying to ask it for uh, medical advice. I know that there was always disclaimers around that. But if, you know, if your muscle is sore, so describe what's happening. The more information you give it, the more it's going to be able to sort of like, you know, and by the way, people are careful about uh, information they put in. I feel very comfortable telling it, hey, I'm Connor, I'm in my 40s and, you know, my middle back is hurting. What's, you know, and some people say, oh, don't tell it in. I don't care if ChatGPT knows that about me. I just don't. But you should always be careful about putting, you know, information about your company in there. Of course, you can't do that. But just in terms of getting started, just talk to it like a human. You don't have to worry about special prompting, anything like that. And then some of the things that you're talking about, these, you know, special sort of add-on things, if you're a subscriber, that gets pretty cool. That's sort of level two. You know, it can, you know, you can go to tools like Ask My PDF. They have plugins, basically. And, you know, you can sort of Google how to get those set up. You just go into settings and toggle it on. But essentially, if you have like a PDF, like a research paper, you know, just put that in there and say, hey, tell me all about this PDF and it will read that and tell it to you. Or there's another thing called WebPilot, which is you just put in the link of a of an article from any article on the internet, any sort of, you know, from The Economist or from Verge or New York Times, whatever it is, and just put it in there and say, hey, what's in this article? Tell me the, summarize this for me. Tell me some of the insights. And you just start talking to it. So there's a ton of different plugins that you can use, but really, I would just get, you know, if you haven't used it before, just get going on it and just sort of talk to it and you'll find real power in it. But that being said, when you do sort of upgrade and, and uh, you know, it has things like something called Code Interpreter, which you can upload huge data sets and it will tell you exactly what's in there and process all the data for you. It's amazing. But, you know, just getting on there and messing around with it is a great first step. This is Tom Laura. You're listening to the Mentors Radio Show. We are with New York University's Connor Grennan. 
Yeah, I think it's just getting started. And, uh, and I think in one of your early videos, uh, and by the way, these videos show up on YouTube as well. Uh, they're not just all LinkedIn. I should mention that. Um, get started. And do I, One thing that I've been doing is do one thing every day. I've got a lot of things to do, but I try to apply it uh, differently each day so I can learn. I learn through osmosis and experience, I think, like most people. Uh, and it's a good way to go. And it, it, um, and this treating like a human, you've got this HTG. Let's go through that very quickly to remind people what you mean about treating it like the smartest person in the world. Yeah. Yeah. So I just have a quick principle that I like to tell people HTG. It just stands for high, thanks, great. And just real fast, I like to sort of say hi to it when I'm starting. That might sound a little crazy, but it just reminds you that this is not Google. It reminds you that this thing acts and talks like a human. I'm not saying it is human. It's not sentient but it talks like that. And when you do that, it gets you in a much different mindset. So let's say you're going to uh, Costa Rica and you might say to Google, give me the top 10 things to do in Costa Rica. And Google will give you, you know, a 2019 blog post or something like that about top 10 things. And then you go research that. ChatGPT is more like the head of the tourism board. You could say, hey, tell me some things. It's like, okay, so what do you like to do? Who are you? Like, what do you, you know, do you have any kids? Like, do you like horses? Oh, no, not really. Well, you want to, it's like talking to the head of the tourism board. So the high just gets you in the mindset of, remember, talk to this thing like a human. And then the thanks is interesting. It's something called linguistic matching. It just means that when you say thanks to it, it just sort of puts you in the mode that like this thing is really smart to talk to. And anytime you sort of say thanks or are respectful to your brainstorming partner, because you can brainstorm big things with this thing, it really reminds you that this is something worth talking to. And I always say sort of say thanks because it creates a better dialogue between you and whatever this thing is on the other side of the conversation. And then great is just about feedback. It is so important when you ask for five ideas, hey, give me five ideas about, you know, sort of my new marketing campaign or something like that. Tell it what you like and what you don't like. It's sort of like if you were talking to a human and you said, give me five, hey, Tom, give me five ideas. And I do. And then I turn to somebody else. I'm like, now you give me five ideas. That person doesn't know which ones of those I liked. You know, you want to guide it and iterate. And so it's great with feedback. So say, hey, I loved number one, number three, four, and five weren't great, but let's try number two. Tell me more about that. So you, it loves, it really thrives on feedback and it really thrives, especially when you iterate and don't just sort of say, you know, okay, great. Thanks for that information you gave me and walk away with it. Have a conversation with it. Iterate. Say, okay, tell me more about that. I want to go deeper on this. I don't understand that. It's great at that stuff. And one of the examples uh, you were talking about the plugins. I, there was one example where they had a number of plugins, and somebody asked a question. I'm going to Europe this summer. Uh, tell me what I should, where, what plane I should get on, where, what hotels, and and they spit out a itinerary, the hotels you ought to book at, the planes that you ought to book on and whatever. So that gives you some idea of how you can use it in life as well. Uh, the uh, What are you using it for? Yeah. So for me, I'm using it for a lot of brainstorming and everything else, but, uh, but boy, the, the, just the possibilities are endless. I use it for brainstorming, drafting reports, summarizing reports. The list just goes, the list goes on and on. All right, so we're going to come back in after a short break. Uh, we're with New York University's Connor Grennan. We're talking about how to power your career and life with ChatGPT. This is Tom Lloyd. This is the Mentors Radio Show. And now, back to the Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. 
Welcome back. This is Tom Loy. I'm with Connor Grennan, New York University Stern School of Business Dean of Students. It's head of Generative AI. So one of the things I'm, uh, I want to make sure we cover, and there's, as I said, so much to cover. I, I, I've read, I haven't experimented, but I, and I've got a brother that's an artist and somehow he's using generative AI to create paintings and mixing things. And uh, I think some people are using in music, maybe you could just expand a little bit more on the creative side and how people, and it's not chat GPT. I assume there's other plugins or something, but could you talk more broadly about the creative aspects in other areas other than just writing? Yeah, absolutely. I I'll, I haven't messed around with the music so much because I'm not a musician. But uh, in terms of you know generating images, it's really getting easier and easier. And there's a lot of different products that can do it. And a lot of these products are just free. But uh, you know, it's one of these things where people have probably seen examples of it. You might see uh, you know deep fakes. They're starting to move into video too. You can sort of start to make deep fake videos, which are not high quality yet, but the images are exceptionally high quality, so high quality that you can't possibly tell it. So it'll show some public figure, you know, take a public figure of your choice and, you know, create an image of that person getting arrested or something like that. So it's going to wreak havoc on the election cycle, of course, as you can probably imagine. But uh, but these images are absolutely indistinguishable from real life. And so there's a few different ways to do it, right? I mean, there's a there's a product called Midjourney, uh, which people might have heard about. Uh, but there's also Dolly uh, Two, which is a product of OpenAI, which runs ChatGPT. But even if you just go on Bing, and Bing is Microsoft's again search engine, and it has one of these things built in. And if you just say, "Hey, create an image for me of a you know a dog playing volleyball," and you know and make it photorealistic, it will do that. It's really stunning, and so. Uh, you know, the way that this is uh, evolving, just the the potential for, you know, art and music and everything else is just vast, but it's really gotten to the consumer. So you no longer really, not that Adobe has, you know, Photoshop, all those kinds of things are, are also integrating these into their products. Uh, but certainly just like a pure novice can literally just go on and say, hey, create this image for me if they're in something like Bing or if they go to Midjourney or something like that. And it'll just create these incredible images. In music, there's something, I know you haven't played with that, but there's something in music as well, which I'm sure my brother's figured out. Yeah, and, well, thing. music is an interesting one because copyright issues are really coming to a forefront there as well, right? Because people are able to replicate voice and there's tools that you can replicate people's voice. There's a product called Eleven Labs or something like that. Uh, I mean, I've used Eleven Labs a bunch where, you know, you're just talking to it for about five minutes and then it replicates your voice pretty easily. And then you just write down what you want a Connor Grennan to say, and it's pretty good. So you can imagine, you know, people who really fine tune that and they say, hey, write me a song, you know, by Drake. And that really got a lot of publicity because people can actually create music by these artists in their style. And so now we have some big copyright uh, problems that we're facing right now, kind of across the board. But music is one of the ones in the forefront. Sounds like for the lawyers, this is a whole new avenue for uh, our revenue stream for them coming up there to learn about this stuff. Uh, yeah. So, so tell us about language uh, and translations, and I think there's a place for this, a role for this to play in that as well, right? Absolutely. It's outstanding at that. It's really outstanding. These are large language models, and they're really outstanding at language. They're text-based, uh, you know, and they're called natural language processing tools. And that's really important for everybody to know because you don't have to know a certain kind of coding or anything like that. You just use your own natural language. 
But if you say, hey, this is what I want to say in English, now say it in French and Bulgarian and Portuguese and everything else, it will do that very, very quickly. And it will you, you can ask it to do things and speak in a certain tone and everything in a way that something like Google Translate, which is you know great for just translating something, what you can do on these things like ChatGPT is say, hey, I really want to kind of you know say this in French, but I want to make sure that you capture the sarcasm or capture the humor or make it more formal or something. And something that you could just very rarely find any other products that could do that uh, unless you were talking to you know a native speaker. And this allows you to do that just from going on to ChatGPT. This is Tom Laurie. You're listening to the Mentors Radio Show. We are with New York University's Connor Grennan. Uh, and I think we should note something about privacy. T talk a little bit about privacy uh, issues related to the use of these tools. Or well, I don't want to say not tools. We would call them humans. These yeah. so-called. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, these they are tools. I mean, it is. It's a huge concern. It's a huge concern because essentially, when you put something to ChatGPT, uh, the rest of the data set, you know, the, it basically helps it train. So, in the same way that if you know somebody learning the English language might just kind of keep listening to people around them and they absorb that. That's essentially what this is doing too. And it takes, you know, there's humans on the other side. Now it doesn't work exactly like if you put in, you know, your secret, you know, recipe to, uh, you know, your mom's meatball recipe or whatever in there that somebody's going to take it out and publish it. It doesn't really work like that. It just really more works on just how to speak and everything like that. So, but anything that you put into ChatGPT you have to be a little cautious about uh, because you could be violating any number of agreements. Like if you're if you're at work and you have you know legal agreements saying I will not share your information with a third party. Well, ChatGPT is a third party, and even when you have you know software you're developing or a client list or something like that, it's just best practice to not put that in unless you know you are comfortable enough like reading it aloud on the subway or something like that. You know you want to just be careful about that. That's number one. And number two is, which we can get to, it can hallucinate too. It can sort of, you know, tell you misinformation about things in a very convincing way. So that's why if you said, hey, what's happening, you know, with this uh, public figure, it might tell you, but it might not be accurate. So you have to know what to look for when you're uh, when you're doing this to avoid getting fooled. And the, I'm a technology-based individual, and I understand the history of technology and the emergence and adoption. What is your view with regards to ChatGPT and generative AI and replacing jobs? Well, the truth is it's going to replace certain roles, right? It just will. So at a time where maybe you had you know, five creative writers for a team, you may only need one. I think that the saying that goes around a lot is, you know, AI is not going to replace you, but somebody who uses AI is going to replace you. And that's why I really encourage people to use it. I mean, if you just think about it, if this is a tool that makes people far more productive and, you know, augments their creative mind and really helps them do that, and they can do it very, very fast, you know, almost by definition, there are certain jobs where people will be able to do that a lot quicker. And, you know, legal, we had mentioned legal earlier, the legal field, if there's people whose jobs it is to take these long documents and summarize them and to pull out the highlights and bullet points, well, you know, one person can do the work of five people now because they have a tool like this. So yes, it will replace jobs, but I never want people to panic about that. What I want people to do is understand how to use this to augment and increase their own productivity and use it sort of like really to uh, make themselves better at their own jobs. 
Yeah, it's a really an argument for being an early adopter and become the go-to person, regardless of the organization that people can go to. And you're the expert. You can, like what you're doing at Stern, you can be the person that's guiding others as well, 100%. which is extremely valuable to have somebody like that in an organization with a new technology. We're going to be right back after a short break. We're with New York University's Connor Grennan. We're talking about how to power your career with life career and life at ChatGPT. You'll find all of our show notes and links at TheMentorsRadio.com. Make sure you subscribe so you do not miss any future shows. This is Tom Laurie, and this is The Mentors Radio Show. And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Laurie. I am with Connor Grennan, New York University Stern School a business as Dean of Students and its head of generative AI. Tell us where you think the future is with regards to all these things and what do you see happening? Yeah, I think a couple of things. I mean, I think, you know, number one, I think that these tools will start getting more and more accurate right now. They're, uh, they deal, they do still suffer from what they call hallucinations, which is means, you know, drawing uh, data that are drawing sort of facts out that just aren't really facts. Uh, and that can be confusing without actually flagging that it doesn't actually know the answer to that. So I think it'll get better uh, in that regard. And I think the other thing about the future of these tools is that they're just going to become more and more personalized. I think that, you know, uh, we're probably not so far from, you know, people having really their own customized chatbot like that, that really understands them so that, you know, every time right now, every time you go into ChatGPT or something like that, you really have to tell it, you know, once again, kind of, you know, what you're looking for, who you are. All and ChatGPT has one new little feature that helps that a little bit, but for the most part, in these sort of chatbots, uh, they are really, you know, you're starting over fresh each time. You can't teach it things. You can't say, hey, no, don't forget, you know, my name is Connor Grennan and I have two kids. It doesn't remember things like that. So you really have to keep teaching it. And I think the future is really in deep, deep personalization. How would you use this? You touched on it, and I'm curious. How would you use this today for brainstorming? It's really powerful. It's really powerful because, I mean, one of the hard things about just any job is just coming up with new ideas, whether you're you know, a writer or a marketer or in learning or in the C-suite or in a lawyer or whatever, just coming up with ideas. And this is phenomenal about just getting that started. So it's an incredible thing. You know, it's for the writers out there, uh, you know, just staring at a blank page can be terrifying. And even if you just say, hey, you know, uh, I, you know, I have to have this new marketing campaign for this, or, hey, I'm trying to come up with a story for this, or, hey, I have to write this email. And tell a guy, you know, how he can like a sales call for this guy, but I need to like relate to him emotionally. And this is his backstory. It's incredible. And you just say, give me 20 ideas about how to do that. And they'll just spit out 20 ideas. Now, you know, you might not like 18 of them, but one of them might spark your interest. And so in terms of brainstorming, it's just incredibly powerful. And one, I think was chief executive recently did a study of CEOs and they talked about where chat GPT might have some value and they operations were number one, marketing number two, customer service three, product service innovation uh, four, human resources five. And I think you said you're actually going to be going into some of these areas and talking about applications. Let's just pick one area. Let's say marketing. What? Mm -hmm. give, give us some idea of what how somebody could use this in the marketing side. Yeah. I mean, if you think about marketing, marketing is all about just like idea generation and then iteration on those ideas. And so you know, you'll have five people in a room and you'll try to think like, okay, how can we sell more aspirin or something like that? And, you know, let's understand who our audience is. 
And there's a million different ways to do it. But one of the really fun ways of doing it in marketing, besides brainstorming and iteration, is say, hey, we'd love to put this to a focus group. And you ask ChatGPT, hey, create a focus group for me. Put out uh, five people from various demographics, uh, all from uh, middle America, and uh, you know, tell me who they are. And then I'm going to ask them questions. And ChatGPT will create this demographic and create a focus group for you. And you can just knock ideas out and test them on these focus groups. You can do that over and over and over again. So there's the, you know, it's just, it's only bound by your own, you know, imagination, really. There's just so many different ways to do it. That's clever. That's a great application. And what about customer service? Customer service is phenomenal because, you know, these chatbots more and more are just outstanding at just understanding not just how to interact with people coming in, but how to be empathetic. They are extremely, they act, they can act extremely empathetically, but also extremely quick at getting the, you know, the, the, the appropriate information and getting, you know, the, it's like if you call American Airlines and say like, hey, my flight was canceled, what should I do? It, it's, it grabs that information instantly. It's, Here's the policy. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Here's what you can do. Let me get you rerouted. It's just, it's very, very quick. And that's the real power behind it. So I'm part of a group, forming a group to help people that are caregivers through our parish. And somebody popped up this week that's got a background in chat GPT, and they're going to try and figure out how to, I mean, it just give you some idea because there's a big problem and that connecting people is really an issue, but that's it. We're done. I really want to thank you. This has really been exciting. We've been with Connor Grennan, New York University's Stern School of Business Dean of Students and its head of generative AI. We've been discussing how to power your career with ChatGPT by jumping on the train of generative AI as an early adopter so you can avoid becoming obsolete. If you missed any of the show, you'll find it on our website, thementorsradio.com, or at your favorite podcast platform. You will also find our show notes on our website, again, thementorsradio.com. I will post the uh, link to Connor on there as well. Uh, join us next week at the same time for the next edition of The Mentors Radio. Until then, this is Tom Laurie signing off for today. Remember to be all you can be and keep the candle lit for all who struggle in the darkness. It's been The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. To get more information about the program or a sponsor, to download a podcast of today's show, or to leave a question for our host, go to TheMentorsRadio.com. That's www.thementorsradio.com. The preceding program, copyright CBJ, LLC. All rights reserved.